0: Welcome to a Hope Alive Church podcast where we strive to be an authentic family of believers where we believe everyone can encounter the living hope found
1: only in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy the word.
2: We thank you for him and Alizé and their ministry and their gifts. Father, today we speak life over him, Father, as he shares your word. Lord, today we say that he is God's man for this house at this moment in time. And so, Lord, let him be a mouthpiece. Let him be a a vessel, a conduit that your words and your wisdom flow through to shape and direct people's lives and form them with your word and your wisdom. We bless him. Encourage him. Come on, keep stretching. Refresh him. Lord, we say today new levels of creativity are flowing from his heart and his mind. Lord, as he is on the battle lines, Father, with young people and as this new school year starts and first priority and FCA and everything that he works in. Make him a light for somebody. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let him know we love him. Let him know we really love him. Amen.
1: Amen, amen. Man, I I don't know about you, but I just feel something in this room real quick. I'm going to obey real quick. I want everybody to stand across this room. And as we just talked about, we we're in this, this series about family, and all month you're going to hear so many different messages and so many different words, but I want to put this out there and say that we as a church can only do so much for your family. So here in a moment, I want to pray, but I want you from your own mouth audibly to pray over your own family, because I know... Without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be breakthrough in families. Families are going to be restored. We're going to see um, unity in family, both uh, blended families, biological families, adopted families, no matter what it is. And I promise you that we're going to see something great. But whenever God has something great, there's always an enemy who's out to attack. So here today, in this moment, we're going to pray. And I want you to pray over your family, whether they're here, whether they're not, whether they're in the back, whether they love Jesus or they don't know him and anything about him. I want you to pray over your family, because I promise you, if you can posture your heart right in prayer and say that here right now, my family will not go to hell. I promise you will see breakthrough throughout this month. So let's pray God today. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the family that I've made. I thank you for the family that I came from, Jesus. I thank you for the family that I have out of town, Jesus. I thank you for the family that's to come. Today I say that this month is holy, Jesus. I rebuke any attack that the enemy has over my family. I wish you would just pray like your family's life is on the line right now. And I wish you would just say, God, intercede in my family. Become the center of my family. Be the one that we look to when we have battles. We don't want to fight them in the world. We want to fight them in the spirit, Jesus. Whenever we have storms, we want to look to you and not to the things of this world, Jesus. Today we say my family is blessed. My family is whole. My family is restored. My family is healed. My family is loved, Jesus. Today we say we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor and we give you all the praise today we say my family is whole again my family will not go to hell my family will make it to the kingdom my family has a calling you have chosen my house and you say that we will make it to the kingdom and on that day you will say well done my good and faithful servant today we say it is done it is healed any attack by the enemy is gone that no weapon, no weapon, spiritual, physical, emotional. Today I pray over the mental health of parents, the mental health of students, the mental health of siblings, Jesus. And today we say that it is healed. That depression and anxiety and ADHD and ADD will not come between me and my family. And today we say you are the center. We do not put our trust in man, but we put our trust in you because we know you know the beginning. We know you know the middle. We know you know the end. And we know that above all else, no matter what, we win. Say, we win. We win. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Promise you, you'll see something amazing happen in your family if you make prayer the foundation of your family. Amen. Everybody, say they're mine. they're mine. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Book of John this morning, John chapter eleven. So we've been going over this series. I had the honor and the privilege to open us up this past Wednesday, and God did some amazing things. Um, I talked about leadership in the homes and what it is like to be a leader. And today I want to go into something a little bit different, but still just as important. And I want to talk about our siblings. So we're in this series, the hood, fatherhood, sisterhood, this and that. We're going to make up our own word. We're going to say siblinghood, because I don't think that's a real word. But we're going to talk about brothers and sisters. And, and there's, a, there's a lot to unpack, and we don't got much time. So bear with me. If the second server starts coming in, just Tell them to sit next to you. Say, well, I'll catch you up later. You can read my notes. I take notes so you can copy my notes. But in the book of John chapter 11, we're going to read about a story that some of you may have heard. Some of you may have not heard. And it says in verse 1, it says, now a man was sick. Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, who was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm on my way to wake him up. In verse 12, it says, Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. They had that Hispanic, they had that Hispanic healing. They're like, Go take a nap. Just go take a nap. I promise when you wake up, you're going to be fine. You don't, you go to sleep, you'll be fine in the morning. You can go to school. But Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly he said, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. If you're taking notes, if you're highlighting, highlight or underline or do whatever to verse 15. We're going to stay on that one. And then it says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he said, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly, and they went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. How many of y'all know some people that they don't know all the details, but they want to be in your business? They, They don't know what happened in her life, but they're like, let me be a part. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been here my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Some translations say he was angry. Because sometimes God gets frustrated by how little faith you have. Because he sits there and he says, I can do all things, but you don't want to believe. And he says, where have you put him? Lord, they said, come and see. And verse 35 The shortest verse in the Bible, but if you really look into it, it's it's a very powerful verse. It says that Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, he said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, or I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then a dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face wrapped in cloth. And then Jesus looks and says, unwrap him and let him go. Now, this was the seventh miracle. If you read the book of John, it it maps out there's seven miracles that Jesus did to prove that he was Messiah. Now, there was many more, but in the book of John, it maps out. And this was the seventh. And this miracle was crazy. We sit there and we're like, man, can't believe Jesus did that. But before we look at the miracle he performed, I want to take a second and I want to look inward at the struggle that they had before the miracle. So today I want to talk about three different kinds of siblings. Everybody in this room is one of these siblings. The first one is the biological sibling. The the most common sibling, this one is very self-explanatory, you are the same biology as your brother or sister. You have the same parents. You have the same mom and the same dad. You are biologically the same person. And as someone who grew up with siblings, If you don't know, I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. I realize that there is such thing as a sibling instinct. If you have a sibling, you know there's... We talk about mother's instincts and father's instincts, and they're very true. Like, don't get between a mother and their kid because bad things will happen. It's dangerous. Like, all the moms said amen because you know. But there is such a thing as a sibling instinct. Sibling instincts have a weird dynamic because on one hand, you can be totally talking trash to your sibling. I mean, like, all the names, all the words, whatever, but you're still one of the most protective people in their life. I remember there was a point in time where I was sitting at the dinner table with my parents and my siblings. And if you've ever been around me and my siblings, um, like, in just a normal time, like, not in church and stuff. You know, like, we go at it. And I'm not talking physically, because that was when we were younger. But, like, man, I'm talking the amount of words that get thrown and names being called and joking and making fun of people. My parents told me one day, they were like, why can y'all not just be nice to each other? (laughs) How many of you parents are like, why do y'all hate each other or what? Like, my parents are like, y'all are always just dissing on each other. And I had to sit there and I had to explain to them. I said, yeah, because I love them. I tell them all the time, I'm like, I'm building their character. Like, if someone in the real world makes fun of them now, they're, they're totally fine. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, that's not, but I sit there and I tell them, I'm like, this dynamic of siblings is different than what you might think. I can sit there and I can call them all these booger face, poop head, whatever I want to call them, and they laugh and we still, it's in good fun. But I've told them, if anyone else was to ever say that to them, they'd go see Jesus. Like, you cannot call my siblings those names. So our sibling instinct is a protective instinct. We have this banter and we play around and we joke and all these things. But at the end of the day, as a sibling, you know in your heart, and it's almost like you feel it biologically that you know what's best for your sibling. They ask for advice. You give them advice. Even if they don't want it, you say, you should do this You should do that. And even in this story, we see that the siblings of Lazarus had the same instinct. Because they say in verse 32, when Jesus is there, both Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. They were saying, if you would have came when we called you, Lazarus would still be alive and he'd be walking around and and we wouldn't be mourning They became impatient. They said, I know what's best for Lazarus. He needed prayer at this point in time. And you waited two more days and then you came? The Bible says that she told him, He stinks already. He's like decomposing, like it's gross. They said, If you would have just been here when I told you to be here, because I know best, I know my sibling, I know best, he wouldn't have died. And they both say this, and Martha, in a sense, everyone says, oh, well, Martha was a little bit more understanding. She said this. At the end of the day, she still was accepting that she was never going to see her brother again. She didn't say, man, if you would have been here, God, he wouldn't have died. But I know in about 10 minutes, you're going to, she said, no, she, when he says your brother will rise again, she said, oh, yeah, I know. He'll rise whenever you come back for your church. He'll rise at the last days. Like, I know that. She had already accepted the fact that he's dead that he's gone, that she won't see him again. And and in, in a sense, she says that she trusts in God, but you can tell that there's still some form of resentment that says, if you had just come when I asked you to come, if you had just been here when I said, get here, he's sick, I need you now. God, I need you now in my life. He would have never died. And even though that they knew the miracles that Jesus could do, in that moment, when they see their dead brother lying there, they still just said, you should have listened to me. I say that all the time to your siblings are the ones that you're the biggest. I told you so. Like, you should have listened to me. My brothers and sister, they're like, man, this sucks. And I'm like, yeah, I told you that. Like, last year, like, you should have listened. And they say, you should have listened, Jesus. Why didn't you come when I asked you? But like I said in verse 15, Jesus says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there to his disciples so that you may believe. So Jesus knew the whole time what he was doing. Did he tell them? No. He just said, and in that moment, he even got mad. The Bible says he was troubled and it says, or even angry that everybody was just mourning this man. Even after he said, Your brother will rise again. They all thought, yeah, he'll rise again at the end. We've heard this in Sunday school. I went to church, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is like, no, I'm about to do it in like 20 minutes. Like, just hold on. Like, be patient. But he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. And we can be like that with our siblings now. With brothers and sisters, we grew up together and we say, I know what's best for you. Some of you may have just started your faith. Some of you may have been in church all your life, and all of us have siblings, and we've always compared our walk of faith to our siblings. We sit there and we say, man, I just wish my brother was here. I just wish he lived life for God like I do. Man, I wish my sister just loved Jesus the same way I do. She struggles all the time. And I know that if she would just pray and if she would believe that she would be healed and she'd be delivered. And we sit there and we're just like, man, I just wish they would listen to me. And we start getting into this moment where we start doubting, where we start hurting, where we start resenting God. We start resenting the church because if he would have just came, if he would have delivered my sibling when I asked him to, they wouldn't be out on the streets doing what they do. They would be here in the house of God with me. We sit there and we say, I beg and I plead and I yell and we fight and I cry to them. And I try to reach out to them and they keep pushing me away. And if God would have just listened to me the first time, because I know what's best for my siblings, I promise they would be healed. But the whole time God is saying, he says in the Bible, says, this sickness will not end in death but for the glory of God. He's telling you, your sibling being lost will not end in their death, but it's going to create a testimony for them to glorify God in the end. But we get stubborn. We get impatient. We read this scripture and it says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. But then the next verse, it says, but he stayed two days extra. In in a culture of instant, we would say two days, 48 extra hours. If he loved us so much, why didn't he go right when we called him? He waited two more days. We get impatient. We say, why is he? Why is he taking so long to deliver my brother? He's still strung out. He's still on the streets. He's still doing what he does. Why is he taking so long to pull on my sister's heart? She's still doing everything she used to do, and it's not getting any better, and I don't know why he's not listening to me. And we get impatient. We become selfish for our own family. We want what we want when we want it and how we want it. We say, God, I trust in you unless you do it at this time this way and for this long. And you do this. And there's like a checklist that we give God. We say, God, your word is what we want. We, I, wanna, I want your calling and this and that, but here's like a checklist. Okay. What are they called? Freedom Riders or whatever. Like when a band comes and they're like, hey, we'll play, but like I need green M&Ms only. I need this type of water, this, that, and other. Like we give one of those to God and say, hey, I would love to live my life for you, but Make sure you do this, and you need to save my family, and you need to get my siblings, and this and that. And if you don't do it, okay, well then, maybe we'll try again later. We become selfish. And we think to ourselves, oh, we're being punished. We didn't pray enough. I didn't do my part. Not only do we start resenting God, but we start doubting our faith. Does prayer even work? I pray every single day for my brother and sister. And still... They're, they're in the streets. They're still doing what they do. They're still struggling. They still feel like they're unloved. They still feel like they hate the world. They still feel like they don't even want to live anymore. Why has God taken so long? We put ourselves in the position that Mary and Martha were in and say, if you would just be here, they wouldn't be lost. We start throwing the blame on God. This is your fault. This is your fault that they're not here. I did my part. you didn't do yours. But in Second Peter verse, uh, chapter three, verse nine, it says, "God is not slow as some count slowness, but is' patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God will never be late. So we say it all the time. He ain't good at being early. You tell him, I need you here at 9 o'clock. He's going to be there at 9, o'clock, at 9 o'clock with like 59 seconds until 9.01. Like, he doesn't like to be early. But in that scripture, it says he's patient towards you. Some of us have started our faith later than others. And some of us started, if you were like me, you grew up in church. And we complain and complain and complain about how fast God does things for us when on the flip side, we just take our sweet time. Some of you here, it took 30 years for you to give your life to Jesus, but if he takes 30 minutes, he's late. If it's 30 days to save your family, you've been saved for maybe a week and you say, God, why haven't you already saved my family? Because he's just as patient towards you and he does not want to see anybody perish. It wasn't an account of sinfulness that Lazarus fell ill. But the principle of God's love, being so patient, is the main point here. What if God's patience in your life was to give others a chance to see resurrection rather than what you wanted? You see, if Jesus had gone when he was called, if when they said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, we need prayer. If he was to say, all right, come on, tell the disciples, let's go. Praise over him he wouldn't have been able to, the Jews that were there would not have been able to witness what they witnessed. In verse 19, it says, many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. Those Jews were not there while he was sick because nobody cares when you're in the battle. It's after the fact that you get the flowers and you get the congratulations. No one's in there when you're going through the hardest times of your life when you're praying and you're on your knees and fighting these battles for your siblings, no one's sitting there saying, Hey, you got this, you got this. It's not until afterwards. So these Jews weren't there in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the illness. But the second he died, here they come, being all fake and whatnot. Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Oh my gosh. If you need anything, let me know. But I'm really not going to, no, don't let me know. I'm busy. But if you need anything, just let me. We're sorry. And in that moment, Jesus knew what his opportunity was to totally wreck everybody's hearts. And so, even in your waiting, there was a purpose. Even in the middle of you pleading and crying and screaming and being on your knees, saying, I wish you would just be in church. Why do you make me wait for so long? I want to see you live. I don't want to see you die. I don't want to see you go into hell. God has a plan all along, and the plan does not look like your plan. Again, as siblings, with your brothers and sisters, you think, I know what's best for my sibling. I know what, like, I know what they should do. I know how they work. I know how they're wired mentally. I know this and I know that. I know exactly how I can get to them. And God says, no, you don't. Because their plan, my plan for their life is greater than what you know about your sibling. God says, just wait. He says, you better be happy I wasn't there when you called because when I do get there, we're going to wreck a nation. So we have the biological sibling. And then we have the spiritual sibling. If You've been in church for any point in time. You've heard the words brother and sister more than you ever have in your life. And be honest, this is, that's what a lot of people use when they just don't know your name. Brother, how are you? Man, how's the family? It's so good to see. Whenever you're praying for somebody, Lord, you see my sister right here? She's known you since you were five. Lord, you see my sister right here, and you see her broken heart. It's used a lot as a cop-out because we don't know their, we don't know their name. You see so many people, you're like, I've, I'm going to be honest, there's times I've been at the store, and they're like, Pastor Brandon? And I'm like, I'm like, "Hey brother. How are you? How's the In my head I'm like, "John, Jack, James, Philip." We hear those words all the time. Thankfully, I'm glad to be a part of a church that is an actual family and we learn to love each other and if I say brother to you, I do know your name. I just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we use it a lot. But man, there's such a deeper meaning to it. We've honestly kind of lost the vision of what it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. It's saying that we are a family. We're in this series about family and I'm gonna, we're all going to talk about your biological family and your kids and your cousins and your theos and your theos and everybody and we're going to talk about all of them. But at the end of the day, we're doing this because collectively we are a family. We are not just brother and sister because you don't know our names. Because the Bible says that when you hurt, We hurt with you. Whenever somebody passes away in your family, we're there. We say, we love you. We want to talk with you. We want to walk with you through this. We love you. I've been to churches before where they see people on Wednesday and they see people on Sunday and that's it. They they see them a total of two hours per week. They go live their life. And I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that says, hey, I want to live life with you. Are you battling with addiction? Come on, I know a ministry at my church. Are you battling with mental health? Come on, I know a ministry that we can go to together. We are a family in Christ. We we are the body of Christ. And we do life together. And we've seen it. There's been many times where we've had people come in broken, hurting. Xavier, when you came in hurting and you said, my dad, we prayed as a family. And you know what we saw the next week? a couple weeks after that, we saw healing as a family. We were hurting as a family. We rejoice as a family. And when you guys, when one of you fails, the whole body feels it. There is an accountability when it comes to siblings that is even in a spiritual sibling. And this isn't just something that's written in the Bible. This is something that Jesus modeled. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept when he saw Lazarus was dead. That was his brother, not by blood, not by family, but that was his spiritual brother, and it hurt him so bad that he just wept. And even though he was, he was a godly being, he was still man on earth, and Jesus said, "I'm going to feel the same pain that you felt." We don't walk this life alone. We walk it together. And that is the same thing that we need to model in today's church. Some of us sit here, and I'm not calling out. I'm not, like, picking on nobody, so don't get your panties in a wad. Like, just chill out. Some of us sit here, and we come in, and we don't say hi to nobody, and we just sit there, and we, like, go through service. And we're just like, okay. We write down the scripture, take a picture of the, the screen, And then, like, we go home, and we don't see nobody else. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. Because people come in, they only come Sundays, they only come Wednesdays, they don't see church after that, and that's it. Like, it's just a part of your routine. You come to church for the sake of coming to church because at one point your mom slapped you in the back of the head and told you to get in the car. (laughs) Said, get to church. So it's just like, now if you don't, you have PTSD, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And it just becomes part of our routine and we never officially become the body of the Christ together. When we sit up here and pray for people, you're like, I don't know who that is. Like, I don't, why am I praying? But if it was your siblings, if it was your family, if your mom and dad were in the hospital and they only had a week to live, the same way that you would call your brother and sister and say, hey, we have to pray, we have to do this, we have to do that. The, the body of Christ says, hey, we're here for you. The real body of Christ is there through the storms. They're not just there at the end. They're there when you're hurting. They're there when the illness is at the highest. They're there the whole time. And those are the type of people we need to be. And the last one, I'm closing with this. We have the inward sibling. We talked a lot about how I just talked a lot about how Mary and Martha and I I just put this in. Because I was thinking to myself, I'm gonna talk a lot about how Mary and Martha reacted and how Jesus reacted and how you react when your siblings are spiritually dead and this, that and other, but I never talked I never thought, even thought about Lazarus was also one of the siblings. The man who died was a part of the same sibling group. And maybe you, maybe you're the Marys, maybe you're the Marthas, maybe you're Jesus, maybe you don't have any biological siblings, and you sit there and you say, well, the church is my sibling. Great. Maybe some of you in here are Lazarus, and you almost feel like you have spiritually died. You're just spiritually dead, buried so bad that you already stink that it seems like there is no return because of how spiritually dead you are. And you've seen your family fight. You've seen your family, and you've seen your family say, please, 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 I promise you, if you just come with me to church, I promise you it'll get better. And you still push them away. And you see them yell, and you see them at the altar on their knees crying because they just wish you were here. They, they wish that you could feel the love that God gives you and you still push them away. And you push them away so far that you're so spiritually dead that it stinks. They had, they had no faith. They said, there's no way you can resurrect this man. He stinks. It's been four days. Four. And Jesus still says, Lazarus come out and sure enough a man wrapped in linen walks out bound hand and foot he's bound he's bound like this and he walks out and Jesus says unwrap him and let him go unwrap him he's been dead for too long it's time to stop being dead Unwrap him and let him go out. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is speaking. He says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Follow me. So many of us have been in the situation of either Mary, Martha, Jesus, or Lazarus. Where we have been bound. We have been so dead that it looks like there is no return. Oh, they're a lost cause. They just can't do it. They will never make it here. It's a lost cause. They've been like this for years and years and years. And I promise you they'll never come to church because that's just how they are. I wish they would. That's just how they are. They won't do it. And we've been bound for so long that we've started to resent God. And we say, God, if you would have just been here the first time I prayed, they wouldn't be lost. If you had just been here when I called on you, say, God, I cried, I yelled, I fasted, I did everything that the Bible said I should do, and you still didn't show up when I wanted you to show up. And if you would have just done it when I said so, They'd be with me. They would sit here right next to me at church. And God's saying, you better be happy I wasn't there when you called me. He's saying, this is not going to end in death. I promise you this will not end in death. I don't know about anybody else, but my God is not a liar. And he says, this will not end in death. He says, this is going to end for my glory. This is going to give me glory. This is not going to be by your own merit or by your own strength or anything. This is going to be because God said and God gets all the glory. I want you to stand all over this place. Our prayer team is going to make our way up here slowly. We don't got a lot of time, so I'm going to say this like, spirit of pride, I rebuke it. Amen. All right, here we go. But I'm going to make a call. And this is going to push some of you guys, because some of y'all are going to sit there and say, I don't want people to know this about me. I don't want people to know this about my family, but I'm going to make it anyways, because I believe that God's going to move and God's going to do it. Like I said, we don't have much time, so we don't have time to sit there and fight it. but we have a couple people in here who maybe you are Lazarus and you came to church one way because they finally just wore you down. Finally, they were like, okay, if I go, will you shut up? And you've been spiritually dead for way too long. You stink. They honestly don't think you could get saved, but they're going to try anyways. And we are, and you are still bound. You're so, you're, you're bound And today is the day that we're going to unwrap you. We're going to let you go. You see, it doesn't explicitly say anything, but I guarantee you that Lazarus went out into the world and says, guess what God I serve? He's the God that once I was dead and now I'm alive. Once I was bound and now I'm free. Once I was covered and now I get to tell the world. But the second person I'm going to call are the Marys and the Marthas and the Jesuses. But I'm not going to call you for the reason you think. I'm going to call you to stand in a gap. Because sometimes you say, God, I've done everything I could. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've screamed, I've yelled, this, that, and other. I've tried to follow it by the book and they still don't want to come to church. And you almost seem discouraged and you seem like your prayers don't work. And you seem like you have done everything wrong. So here in a minute, I'm going to call. And if you have a Lazarus in your life who's been dead for too long, so long that you don't even know if they can be saved, I want you to stand in that gap. And I want you to pray. And I want you to stand in agreement with these prayer workers and say, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I know that this is going to be for the glory of God, that this is not going to end in death, that they will make their way back to the Father, that they will make their way back home. But I'm going to say this. You cannot sit in your seat with pride And then be mad at God because he did not answer your prayers. You cannot sit and say, I'm not going to go up for prayer because I don't want them to know that my family doesn't follow Jesus. And then get mad when God doesn't deliver your siblings like you wish he would. It takes work. Having sibling takes work. It takes the fight in you that you will never fight for nobody else. It takes a fight that says, I will fight to the end of the earth for you. I don't care if you hate me. I love you enough that I will let you hate me, and I'll still pray for you. And it's time to fight. So we're going to sing a song of worship. We don't got much time. So if you're a Mary, if you're a Martha, if you're a Lazarus, if you're a Jesus, I don't care who it is. You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. Sorry. If you're in that same scenario, you're not Jesus. But I want you to stand in the gap. And I want you to say, I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for mine.
0: Let's work for
2: have any teachers or faculty with MISD, ECISD, any of the school districts in our area, would you come and let us pray with you and pray over you, coaches, teachers, staff? Yeah, come on, fill in, come in close. forward, All of our teenagers, come on, junior high, high school students, if you're in the room, we want to pray over you. This is what we're here to do. Take some steps. Just squeeze in the aisles. We'll get here. tell you something we're about to pray we're going to end our service in prayer for you we're going to pray the best school year you've ever had this year the best school year i know that the schools are busy and there's a lot of things happening but i want to say this to each and every one of you you not only can be but you are what your school needs you are what they need they need the Jesus inside of you I don't care if you're four years old five years old faculty teachers you can preach the gospel just simply by loving on kids so as our church stretch their hands towards you I want our prayer team to continue to pray come on every person in this place ought to be invested into this moment of prayer right now Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for every young person. We thank you for every teacher, every staff, every coach, every faculty member. Lord, today we mark our young people for greatness. We say that this is the beginning of the best days. Lord, I don't care what other schools are saying and what other people are saying, but we say our kids are not in decline. Our kids are blessed. We thank you, Lord, for your power. Come on, young people. We thank you, Lord, for your power over our kids. As they raise their hands, let's raise our hands, young people, towards you, Jesus. We lift our hands in worship. Come on. Because we need you. We reach out to you. And we say that they are protected. We say that they are blessed. We say that no weapon, no weapon, no weapon, no weapon. Formed against them shall prosper. We come against every indoctrination that is contrary to you and your word. We stop it at its assignment. We come against the politicizing of school districts and young people, and we say these young people are kingdom-minded, first in the name of Jesus. Today we pray a blessing over their minds. We say that they are, they are able to retain what they need to retain. We pray a blessing over their, their friends. Lord, we we pray right now that you keep bad friends away and you align them with good friends that are going to lead them to where they need to go, that they surround themselves with good friends and with wise, wise friends. We thank you, Lord, every day. We call sickness back. We say disease has no power. Our young people belong to the kingdom of God. These are the future generation of preachers and teachers and evangelists and business owners and, 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 and all these types of things. So we thank you, Lord, for a blessing upon them. Come on, let's say it one more time together. We say today, they are blessed. Say it again. They are blessed. One more time. Say they are Bless in Jesus' name. Come on, shout for joy today.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms or visit us online at myhopealive.church.